Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Our topic this evening is uh, apostolic prophetic prayer and fasting. Last week, we discussed the relationship between fasting and prayer primarily, and how that when you fast, you must pray. Praying or fasting without prayer is meaningless. You will not get the full benefit of fasting without praying. Your prayer must be informed by God's will. You can't pray not being aware of what God's will is. So when you pray, you pray, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's say about a specific matter. And God is able to speak to you about that matter so you know what the will is. You are going to find that out, I am thoroughly convinced, through your devotion to the study of God's word. Every time we were talking in the week about a specific issue and various issues that we need clarity on, and I said to Renee, just immerse yourself in the word, immerse yourself in the Psalms, I am convinced God will, will highlight a scripture that will speak to you the answer that will reveal his will about that issue. Amen? Sometimes we don't know what to pray because we don't know what the will is. So how can you pray confidently about something you don't know? Because John says this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And because he hears us, we have the petitions that we have desired of him. So you cannot in a fast neglect God's word because God's word will reveal God's will over which and through which you must pray to be done. Amen? So fasting as a mere abstinence from food, just not eating and going throughout the day, and it's normal for you, it's a normal it's business as usual, without you devoting yourself to more concentrated study and reading of God's word and or fervent prayer, all you've done is not eaten. For me, you have not fasted. Biblical fasting is meant to deepen and strengthen prayer. Amen? We're going to embark upon another corporate fast soon. Because I feel that many have not tapped into the power of corporate fasting like we should have. Perhaps now being more armed with information and revelation, you will be more focused, more diligent, more studious, more determined, more passionate, more intense of desire to get answers to the things that you desire God to do. And so you'll commit yourself to a more rigorous pattern and more serious devotion in your fasting. And I shared with you last week that how that when you pray, we looked at over six examples, and I encourage you to rehearse those examples last week. For those that were not here last week, we have a spare copy of notes. Please, before you leave, make sure you have a copy of Session 4's notes. Session 4 for me, is pivotal in this whole series. Last week's session, it's like the fulcrum around which 
everything else centers. Right? Because you have to be positioned in prayer um, to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, binding things on earth that have already been bound in the heavens, loosening things on earth that have already been loosed in the heavens. Right? And I looked at six examples of this principle. The principle is simple. God has a will. He has a plan and purpose for your life. That plan and purpose will never ever be done, even though He, God Himself, is zealous to do it. He will reveal it to you. But His revelation of that information to you is not meant to lull you into passivity or to spiritual indifference. It's actually meant to activate you to once you know what His intentions are, to partner with Him in ardent prayer, and you're praying. You're not praying to convince Him because He's reluctant to do. You're praying because you are armed that He wants to do. Not because He wants to do the thing does it mean that you must just abandon your posture in prayer to ask Him to do it. But the Scriptures are replete with example upon example upon this principle that God will do nothing even though He's intended it and has voiced it to you, but the thing will not come to pass until you partner with Him in strong prayer and you pray to Him, that thing that you've intended to do, now do it. Alright? It's a protocol. Everyone say protocol. Prayer is a mystery because God is omnipotent. He can do anything He chooses whenever He wants. But He's bound Himself, incarcerated Himself, locked Himself to work within a fashion that even he can't work beyond, although all powerful he is. Do you understand? So the principle is simple. If you are passive, and you must not be passive. Passivity is when you rest. You take a very indifferent approach, a nonchalant approach to spiritual things and to God's will. So God reveals his will, but you treat it as non-serious. Or perhaps... Your passivity demonstrates how not serious you are to see His will being done in the earth. Passivity in prayer is a serious problem in the church today. The average Christian cannot even pray for five minutes without losing just focus. Do you know? Try sit for ten minutes and talk to God. You'll find your mind start wandering. You'll start thinking about issues of work or, or issues with people. Not so, Right? It's so difficult to discipline the mind and to focus when you pray. And I want to encourage you. The reason why I believe we have that um, the principle of the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak in prayer. Remember the three slept. Jesus came and he said, you are still sleeping. I asked you to pray while you are sleeping. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I believe there's a weakness of the flesh that erodes staying power in prayer largely because the prayer, the one who prays, is uninformed as to what the will is and is not passionate about that will being done in the earth. Israel wrote a song, Burden me or break my heart with the things that break yours. Right? Some of us, we sang that song. Some Many churches sing it. Burden me with the things that burden you. Are you. To pray and to even to sing that 
is a serious thing. That you are saying, God, whatever is heavy on your heart now, make my heart heavy with the same thing. Now, can God trust you enough? Right? Can God burden you with His burden? Will you be responsible enough to, re- to react or to respond to Him appropriately? Will you say, yes, God, you've just revealed to me your intentions about a matter. Like Daniel, I will open up my window three times towards Jerusalem and I will pray. I will pray. I will pray. Like Elijah, after he was informed, it's going to rain. God said, I will send rain after the three-year famine. What does the man of God do? God burdens him with his burden. He positions himself in prayer and he prays for the thing to be done, the thing that God just said he would do. Why pray for something that God just said he's going to do? Why must you still ask him to do it? It's a protocol. I want to say it again. Say protocol. It's a, it's a manner of operation. It's a modus operandi of God that he's chosen to work by. A great man of God said once that God does nothing but in response to prayer. God does nothing but in response to prayer. Even though he intends to do a thing. Remember, my, my favorite of all the case studies we did last week is Isaiah 62. Remember verse 1? God says, I have determined to make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Right? I will give myself no rest. I have voiced it. I will do it. And then in verse 6 and verse 7, what does he say to Jerusalem? He says, but oh Jerusalem, I have set watchmen upon your walls. And they will give me no rest until I do make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So the watchmen, those vigilant, watchful in prayer, must give God no rest until he does the thing that he's just declared he's going to do. God will do nothing until you partner with him in prayer. Tell your neighbor, have you fasted? Ask them, have you fasted? Jordan and? Jared, okay. We're going to fast just now. Uh, now ask them this. Have you fasted with prayer? Have you fasted with prayer? Ask them this question. Have you prayed with fasting? You see, I can talk many other things in this church right now. Give you a false sense of security and let you go. And pronounce blessing and blessing. What I'm trying to teach you let me just say this. There are many young people. I was so blessed. I just opened my eyes for a second in the worship. And I saw, I glanced at the young people. I saw the sincerity of your worship. So your cry unto the Lord. Just keep that. Keep it going. Don't lose that. Young men, don't lose that. Young women, don't lose that. If I, as your spiritual father right now, can teach you the discipline of fasting, I would have given you a key for life. That's going to bless you throughout your life. You see, uh, uh, this is better. What I'm teaching you is better than me giving you a million rand right now. I'm giving you a key to unlock spiritual power, answers to your prayers, um, a, a way out when you are locked in some quandary, when you're beset by your enemies. I'll demonstrate next week how that people who were locked in, beset by enemies, 
hemmed in on all sides, looked to God with fasting, and God made a way out with him. Amen? These are keys for life. Amen? I was so glad I learned the discipline of fasting at a very early age. I recall I was still at school, I was still a scholar, and we were at Bethel Assemblies of God Church, and whenever they call us a fast, all the young people were right there in the front, praying and seeking God. And I want to encourage you, keep that going. Amen? Keep it going. If you're sitting next to a young person, tap them and say, keep on seeking God. Keep on seeking God. Keep on seeking God. Amen. Amen. Tonight's study is going to continue on prayer and fasting. I've labeled it apostolic prophetic prayer and fasting. And what we're going to look at are principles of fasting from two case studies. Hannah and Anna. Anna in the New Testament, Hannah in the Old. Now, before we get there, let me explain a few things. Everyone, your attention here. Right now, there is great emphasis on the kingdom of God. And to come out of a local church mentality or mindset. This house is a local house. The church, this is not the church in the city. This is a local house that I'm a spiritual father over. And there are many such houses in the city of Durban. But Dr. Segi has a very powerful study, and he shared much of it at Santon, about that there needs to come in every city, the church in the city, where churches, local churches would come together, and that would be the expression of the body of Christ in Durban. In the New Testament, there was no letter to a church, a local church in a specific locality within a city. All the letters were addressed to the church in the city. So, for example, you know your Bible. You'll have the letter to the church at Ephesus. There's Ephesians. There's Thessalonians, Corinthians, Philippians. All those were cities. They were not addressed to like a church, a local church like this within the city. Obviously, in that time, there was means by which letters, apostolic decrees, written by Paul's hand and others, could come to a city and that information or letter could have been disseminated to every single believer in the city. Right now it can't. Who does God give the letter to now? If you want to address the church in Durban. Who receives it? And what, what protocols and means are there for its dissemination? And the, the ALS was prophetic, profoundly prophetic. What it did, and what I want to conscientize you, start thinking like this, brethren. This house is very important. Our local house. But this local house is not the church in the city. We are a very small, small part of it. What have we got to work towards is the expression of Christ in Durban. Of necessity, it's going to demand the working together with other houses. And we don't know all the answers, how these things will materialize and uh, the form it's going to adopt and how it will eventually come about. All we know, there's been a prophetic signal, signaled and voiced, that we are moving away from a local church mentality to a more city-wide church expression. It's the migration from this paneled house to the temple that's recorded in the book of Haggai. Right? So I want to encourage you, be faithful here. 
But when calls are made to build the church in the city, your obedience there too will be fueled by a revelation prophetically of what is prophetically signaled. Do you understand? Amen? So we obey. So uh, Joseph Batera really challenged my views and thinking on so, so many things. One of the statements he mentioned was this. I will tell your priority by where you spend your money and what you devote your time to as a church leader. He was talking to pastors. And um, he said it here in Phoenix as well. And listen carefully. Um, he intimated this. Even your church expenditure, even the way we spend corporate church funds, if it's solely pointed towards this local church and not expended towards building the church in the city, it proves that we are still parochial. We are still narrowly minded. What if a city endeavor comes up? And would this congregation say, yes? And we've done this before. We'd say, yes, our resources, use it. Use our personnel, use our people resources. Use our finance, right? We'll support that which God is building beyond the walls of this local house. So tell your neighbor, just think bigger. Just think bigger. Right? Be faithful, yeah, because this is a stepping stone toward that. Amen? Stepping stone toward that. But let me just say, we am getting to. Everyone say the kingdom of God. The church in the city is going to become a powerful, powerful expression and custodian of greater kingdom-wide initiatives. The kingdom of God and church are not the same thing. Please hear me. The terms kingdom of God and church are not synonymous. In fact, the word church is only used about twice by Jesus in all of his discourses. Matthew 16, I think, and Matthew 18. Hmm? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the Jesus said. And then the other instance he mentioned, the brother that doesn't want to listen when he's reprimanded by one and then accompanied by another. He says, if he still doesn't want to listen, bringing before the church. Only twice Jesus used the statement, the church. But he used the term kingdom of God very often. Now listen carefully. The kingdom of God is the rule of God that emanates from the throne of God. The kingdom of God covers every expression of life, every sector of life, things both seen and unseen. The created order, the world, its systems, and every expression of existence of life in the planet that we see and even in the heavens that we do not see. It's called the kingdom of God. Colossians teaches this, that all things seen and unseen will be summarized or reconciled together in, in Christ. And in Him, we too will rule over all things. John, Paul, Jesus, all preached the gospel of the kingdom. They did not preach what we know as the gospel of salvation. Most churches today only know the gospel of salvation, which is, you are a sinner. Realize your need for Jesus. Repent, yes. Receive forgiveness through His blood. Say the sinner's prayer. 
hoops you into the kingdom. Right? We save you with the specific mindset that you will escape hell and have a passport to enter heaven. That's the typical gospel of salvation message that has been released to people. What that has done, unfortunately, it has short, made, made Christians short-sighted. They have not fully embraced the kingdom mandate. The kingdom mandate is to bring God's rule to bear upon every sector and expression of life. John said it repeatedly. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at, at hand. I love what Joseph Matera said. He said, most Christians love a Sunday, but dread a Monday. Where the opposite should be true. If you're truly kingdom-minded, you cannot wait to get to work. Because your view is, that's an expression of life. I, must, I have to be there to represent Christ in that domain and insist upon the principles that He functions by to operate in that realm. So your job becomes simply God's excuse for Him to manifest Himself in and through you in your workplace. That's kingdom. The kingdom-minded Christian cannot wait to leave this meeting. After what you heard, it's important you come here because here, the nature and the image of Christ is fashioned with, within you. But your view is out there. I need to get out in the marketplace. I need to get, even in, in my, my sports club, if you're a young person, I need to get where the action is because there the kingdom, the rule of God, has got to come. So tell your neighbor, look forward to work tomorrow. Tell your neighbor, love your job with all of its issues. I'm not joking about it. I mean that seriously. Go to work tomorrow with a new mindset. Go to school tomorrow with a new mindset. Go to varsity, varsity uh, uh, the, the, the students here. Go wherever you are. Go and say, I'm a son of God representing the the authority of God, the nature of Christ in my world. How else will He come except He comes through, through me? Okay, except He comes through me. So we are grooming you to be leaders out there, to be influencers, to be catalysts of change in your, in your world. Now I'm prefacing all this for the study. You know why? Because whenever Christians think about fasting... The focus is too narrow. The focus is all about my needs. Ooh, I need finances fast. I need breakthrough there fast. Your, your view is so intensely personal around issues that only pertain to you. And tonight's study is going to challenge you to break out of that thinking. You examine every person, well, not every person, but even those that fasted personally, I'll prove to you later, the effect was always corporate. Nehemiah, we'll talk about him next week. He said, I sat down, I wept, and I fasted. Why? The gates of Jerusalem are burnt with fire, and its walls are broken down. That's a corporate concern for the welfare of the state of the church in its day. Daniel positions himself to fast and pray for the state of Israel or Judah in Babylonian bondage. Israel. Chapter 9, 23, he fasts that God would give the nation safe passage as they go back to Jerusalem from 
Babylon. Esther said to the Jews, fast with me. Her fast, yes, was for me. But the effect was upon a whole corporate community. Cornelius fasted in Acts chapter 10. And the effect was upon his entire household. And I think probably on a whole group of people because he was an Italian centurion. Leader, a man of great, of tremendous influence. Hannah, you will soon discover, fasted to break barrenness. Produce a son that would affect a whole nation. Even when the fasting was for private issues, it was not so much private because the, the prayer or the faster, I don't know if you can call it the faster, the one who fasts, this person crying to God in prayer to birth something in their private world that's going to have a massive corporate national effect. Now, is your fasting at that level? Or are we still locked into fasting for personal issues? It's fine, but it must have a corporate manifestation or a corporate effect. Amen? I want to encourage you. So tell your neighbor, your fasting must become more kingdom-related. You know, I speak almost, not being totally aware of all the parameters, I speak just prophetically to you. I know God's going to give meat and, 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 and uh, form to the things that I'm saying. I want to encourage you. If you want to be positioned, position your life, Gail, to say, God, burden me with the things that burden you, I'm willing, if you reveal it, I will accept the burden. I will partner with you in prayer and fasting to see that this thing would affect a whole group of people. Cause your kingdom to come in powerful, in powerful ways. Amen? Let this be. At the back of your note, there's a large addendum on the kingdom, which I thought I would just give it to you. It's part of the articles of faith that we were working on for Gate Ministries, together with Apostle Thamo. This is one article. It's one article of about 20-something. This article pertains to your understanding of the kingdom of God. And that, the, the information you have as an addendum at the back is basically a summarized view of your understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about. At a later time, we will do a, a whole study on the kingdom. But I just thought to give that to you now because I know there's some serious students among us. You can't wait to get your teeth into it. Amen? So that's, that's just for your, for your information. But on page 2, Let's look at some case studies. We have already dealt with Jesus, case study one. Remember Jesus' fast, private, personal, but it was preparatory to a ministry that would have global effect. And let me just say this, I know our ministry is going to have global effect. And I want to encourage you the next time we call a corporate fast to really pray for that, Lord, you're going to use us. Prepare us, help us to deal with the weakness of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life, we might be positioned, empowered by your Spirit, attending sonship, we might execute your purposes powerfully in the earth. We've dealt with that. The second case study you have there is uh, Daniel that we dealt with last week when Daniel was armed with information by studying Jeremiah's scrolls. The 
the time of the release of the Babylonian captives was imminent. What did this man do? The Bible says he set himself to pray with fasting. God just revealed it to him through studying Jeremiah's writings, and he prayed with fasting for the thing to be facilitated. Amen? I want to encourage you. Tell your neighbor, this too is your portion. How many feel that throughout this fasting series, your spiritual life has gone to another level? Amen? Let me see your hands. Come on. You're more and more serious than ever before. Amen? I want to encourage you. Um, receive the weight. Everyone say stature. I'm concerned that are we growing stature, not just we hear every Sunday. We must be a people of stature in the spirit. People of weight and worth that God can share burden with. Communicate his will too, knowing that we will partner with him in prayer. Amen? So I want to encourage you with this. Tonight's case study is on two women who fasted. Anna, let's look at Anna. Anna in the New Testament. Luke chapter 2 verse 36 to 38. Before we read this, let me just give you the background. The preceding verses go something like this. There was a man named Simeon. He was the, a functioning priest. It just so happened that the lot fell on him to serve in the temple on that specific day. Because they would have turns. And he was serving and it just so happened that Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus into the temple to present him to the Lord. And he was officiating. So he receives the Christ child. He blesses the Christ child, blesses God, pronounced blessing over Mary and Joseph. There are various prophetic pronouncements made. He also pronounces some prophetic utterances about the destiny of Jesus before nations. And you know what? He says, now I can die. Now I can, I can go in peace for my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. For it was promised to him by prophetic word that he would not die until he would see the literal baby Christ. So he, this guy had a promise that he's not going to see death until he sees the Lord's Christ. That has just happened. Everyone say, it's just happened. I want to show you how powerful this woman is. Because as he finishes these pronunciations of prophetic utterances, now we read in Luke chapter 2 and verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanil, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So she, she married her husband, her married, she was married for seven years when the husband died. So she was widowed after seven years of marriage. And she was a widow till the age of 84. Right? A widow till the age of 84. I like verse 37. She never left the temple. Serving night and day with fastings. Everyone say fastings. The plural, eh? This woman lived a devoted life of regular fasting unto the Lord. It says fastings and prayers. So this lady was immersed 
in the practice of fasting. She was baptized in the spirit of prayer. Not so? Who would like to have known Anna? If there's one woman I would love to have known in the scriptures, it definitely would have been this lady. The Bible says she had the power of prophetic utterance. She was a prophetess. And prophets are not only ones who prophesy, prophets are ones that know and are able to discern the will of God in the heavens, communicate to the earth to see it done. Such was the caliber of this lady called Anna, the prophetess. Verse 38 is very important. At that very moment, everyone say, at that moment. At that moment, she came up and began to give thanks to God. At what moment? At the moment Simeon is busy officiating at the, at the presentation of Christ to the, to the Father publicly in the temple. At that moment, she comes in. Right? And then what does she? Summer takes over. And she began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those that were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Tell your neighbor, she was able to continue speaking. We don't know what she said. The Bible is silent about it. I wish they had recorded it. But apparently she gave a powerful discourse. Read Jewish history. A long discourse and prophetic utterances about this Christ child. She continued speaking to who? To everyone in Israel that was waiting for the redemption. Right? So she clarified his role concerning his redemptive capacity for the year. Okay? This lady called Anna. Okay, what are the lessons to learn? What are the lessons to learn from this woman? Firstly, fasting heightens prophetic apostolic reality. And we are, I would like to believe, an apostolic prophetic church. Come on, tell someone we are apostolic prophetic. Right? We are apostolic prophetic church. Like I said, um, we are prophetic in that we don't just have the capacity to prophesy. To be prophetic means to be able to discern the will of the Lord, to know it and to communicate it to, to people. It includes prophecy, but that's not the be-all and end-all of things. She comes in, listen carefully, and she begins to speak further about the ministry of Jesus. She's apostolic in the sense that she's able to give further information, elucidation, clarification. She's able to enlighten people about the role of this babe. It's very similar to what Peter did in the day of Pentecost. What did Peter do when they say it's 9 o'clock in the morning and you men are drunk? An apostle stood up to give clarity to the events of his day. And he said, we are not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So apostolic ability, part of it includes, listen carefully, the power to give explanation to people to clarify and bring understanding of the events of your time when it happens. In this and approves, she had an apostolic grace also attendant with her. And I, would, I don't think it's coincidental 
that she was a woman of great fasting and prayer. Hmm? You know, this lady was a woman of great devotion to purpose. Her husband died after seven years of marriage. She did not seek another man. She decides, I'm going to devote my entire life to understanding God's purpose. Position myself in fasting and prayer because she knows the principles. She's got enough Old Testament examples from which to draw of men and women that were powerful in prayer that ensured the will of God being done. She must have known about how Daniel prayed. Now think about it. She's living with Simeon in the temple. I think she knew of Simeon's prophecy. She's looking at the thing come pass before her eyes. I think that this lady partnered in her heart with God and said, I too want to see this day. When the greatest prophecy of all time, and to us a son is born, or a child born, a son is given, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. She must have known Isaiah 9, 6, Old Testament. Now she's living in a time where this is coming to pass. I think this lady devoted herself completely unabandonedly to ensuring by fasting and prayer that God's will shall be done in the earth. God is looking for that caliber of people. Give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Give God no rest. God is looking for such people. I am looking for such people in this house that can say, Randolph, I'm with you. When you say pray, I'll pray. When you say fast, I'll fast. If you reveal to us God's will about a matter, you don't have to even tell me. I'll be the first one on my knees back home in my room, ensuring I'll pray. I'll be an Anna in the house. I'll be an Anna in this temple. I will devote myself. Once I perceive purpose here, I will pray, I will fast, that the thing be done. would like to be an Anna. I said to my own self, I want to be an Anna in Thamo's household. I will not, if, if there's a will and the purpose of God revealed, attendant with him or, his, or his, his group of spiritual families in the earth, and I get wind of it, even without his knowledge, I must be one that devotes myself to prayer and fasting. Lord, let that come to pass. Amen? Tell your neighbor, Anne. No. Anna. Not Anna. Please, not Anna. It's Anna. This is joyous. It's not hard. Amen? There's going to come a demarcation in the spirit, I sense. Listen carefully. A line of separation between those that are spiritual and those that are carnal. Between those that are serious and those that are not serious. When you come together as a group like this, I'm not looking for numbers. If I can get two Annas in the house, it will be great. Amen? But I want everyone to be an Anna. Amen? Serve God with your prayers and fastings. And let me just say it. If you seek the Christ, you will see the Christ. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Simeon said it. She saw it as well. The thing you prioritize will be the thing that you see. If it's not a priority to you, yes, a caution. If it's not a priority to you, 
Don't expect to be included by God when he unveils it. But if you seek it prior to its unveiling, God will position you as pivotal to not only see it, but to administrate it, to speak on its behalf, to give clarity concerning it. That is the kind of people we want to be. Anna's in the house. Amen? Look at the early church in Acts. Just another example. In Acts 13, it says, Now there was at the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, and then five names are mentioned. Number one, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, five people, five leaders of the church at Antioch. As they ministered to the Lord, and what? Isn't this powerful? You know, ministry to the Lord includes praise, prayer, worship. It's like a, your whole devotional life. It's entirely Godward. Yeah is not ordinary people. Yeah are leaders ministering to the Lord and fasting. Amen? This cuts the grain against the typical stereotypical leadership meeting. Most leadership meetings are committee-based meetings. We meet to discuss and most times to fight in the church. This leadership was a leadership highly spiritual. Five powerful men meet and their focus is Godward. We minister unto the Lord and the Bible says they fasted. And look what it says. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, now did the Holy Ghost say out of the ceiling in the roof? No. Who was there? It says there were certain prophets and teachers. What do prophets do? Part of it is to prophesy, thus saith the Lord. I believe one of the prophets stood up and said the following. Separate me Barnabas and Saul, two of the five, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands upon them and they sent them, a, sent them away. Here again, brethren, we see the powerful interplay between those who fast and the activation of the prophetic dynamic. Anna was what? A prophet? Tis. Able to discern God's will? Able to communicate God's will? Able to bring clarity about God's will for the Christ? Leaders of the church at Antioch? A prophet gets up and says, These two, Saul and Barnabas, you're part of us five, but here's the deal. Listen carefully. That verse says, now there was at the church at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Now let's do the maths. If the Bible says there were certain prophets and teachers, there's a semicolon and five names are mentioned. That doesn't it make sense that the five were either prophets or teachers? Barnabas and Saul was either a prophet or a teacher. I believe Barnabas was the prophet, was more prophetic, because his name means to encourage and, and to comfort. And Paul says, whoever prophesies must seek to edify, exhort, and comfort. I believe Paul at this stage was more the teacher, typical to his whole apostolic teaching function. Right? But you know, there was sent. Everyone say sent. What does the word sent mean? In the Greek it's apostello. The word apostle means what? Sent one. And they, they sent them out 
in chapter 14, the next chapter, in verse 4 and verse 14, Paul and Barnabas are described as apostles. What happened? Ministry function transformed from either prophetic teacher in Acts 13. In Acts 14, they're labeled when we as the apostles of Christ. What happened? Ministry function began, I see it like this, began to be fine-tuned to God's ultimate original expression for those two individuals. What was the basis for it? As they ministered unto the Lord and fasted, clarity to predetermined calling came in that time. If you are struggling in finding your calling, if you know what you're doing is legitimate, you're either prophet or teacher in a sense, but you know it's not hitting bullseye in terms of God's original plan for your life. May I encourage you that a time and seasons and a lifestyle of fasting will clarify the will of God even for your calling. It will bring fine-tunement. Tell your neighbor bullseye. I know. And even while you know what it is, God will further fine-tune it and make it more sharp. Amen? That's where I want to be. And I know through prayer and fasting, like Anna did, a prophetic capacity came to the fore and God used it powerfully. Paul and Barnabas' example here, it was, it was fine-honed, fine-tuned, and it came forth with great precision. This can too be your experience as you fast unto the Lord. Amen? So listen carefully. Right at the bottom of page 3, I wrote this. I have left Isaiah 58 as the last study that we're going to do in this series. Isaiah 58 is probably the most important chapter about fasting in the Old Testament. Right? In there... There's a promise given to those who fast accurately and whose fasting is reflected, reflective of an obedient lifestyle. God says this. I don't know if I have the verse. It's on the next page. On top of page 4. And those from among you will do what? Will rebuild. Everyone say rebuild. Will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. Please highlight or circle these words. Rebuild. Raise up all the R's. Repairer of the breach. Restorer. Those four R's are very important. Rebuild. Raise up. Repair the breach. Restore the streets. All of those terms are apostolic related terms. They're building terms. They describe the ministry of an apostle. In Isaiah 58, there's a promise that to the one who fasts accurately before the Lord and whose fasting is based on a righteous lifestyle, you are a candidate to be used by God apostolically. Now that's kingdom building, not just church, local church mentality. Now you're saying, God, I want to repair the breach. Where did the breach come in my family? Where did the breach happen? I want to be one that stands in the gap. Where did the breach happen in this nation, in my community? I want to restore things. I want to rebuild. I want to repair what was lost. Amen? Those are very, very powerful words there. Um, Paul and Barnabas went from prophet teacher to apostolic work. 
And you know, the work of an apostle is to bring back the church to an authentic expression um, of Christ's nature and function in the earth today. Things have deviated so far. And very often we think apostolically only in terms of where the church has gone wrong. I want you to think apostolically even for your life. Think apostolically for your family. Where do you need to rebuild? Where do you need to repair? Where do you need to restore something in the, listen carefully, in the fabric of your family life as it exists presently is going horribly wrong and you're doing nothing about it to repair it, to bring it back on track. Let me say this prophetically as a warning. The longer you leave it, the further it deviates from the norm. And you'll, you'll land up years later with a generation thing. this is normal. This is how we do it. And it takes someone to rise up and say, no, we've gone so far away from the path, we need to come back. It's that time, brethren. Tell your neighbor, repair the breach. I speak with a burden in my heart for you. There's a pain in my heart right now. Repair the crack before the building falls. Repair it while there is grace to do. If your attitude is wrong about relationships and you've communicated that even in front of your kids, bring them and repair, correct it. Don't let another generation grow up with the same kinds of ills that you have fostered. Set them off on their own path of blessing. I would never want Matthew, Liam, Luke and Ray to inherit my um, ills, for want of a better word. So I'll do everything in my power to ensure that the path they adopt in life is based upon a powerful Example of righteousness that we demonstrate before their eyes. Tell your neighbor. You know, I read something on Facebook today. It was quite powerful. Kevin Francis put it on. And he said something to the effect of uh, the apostolic community wants to take nations. But the, and he said it's so powerful. He's the first nation you must take is your imagination. You want nations. What about this image that you have in your mind called your imagination? Where your thoughts are so warped, attitudes about certain principles in the kingdom, so far from God, you need to take that and bring it back. That is apostolic. The reformation must first start here before we can even... You know what Jesus said? Do not say, lo, here is the kingdom. Oh, lo, there is the kingdom. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Before you express it out there, make certain that even within you, the kingdom has come. The rule of God persists. You're going to take nothing for God until you manage yourself. Self-management is the first order of call to global domination by kingdom citizens. Amen? And you know, if I'm not a disciplined person, how dare I jump on a plane and go to a foreign nation and say, these are the ways of the Lord. No, I've got to stand there as one who has managed every detail of his life and brought rectitude and rightness aligning everything I do with the requirements of Scripture. Tell your neighbor, it's repair time. If I were you, I would, and if you were dealing with something domestically at home, and it, it, it might be something historical that's in your family that goes back generations. 
call your spouse, even call a family meeting and say, as a family, we will deal with this thing. Let's fast and pray. Trust God for repair. Take decisions that will heal this thing forever. Our forebears might have experienced it. We, to a degree, might have experienced it. But our children, no way. Buck stops? Yeah. How dare we who are enlightened pass on error to the next generation? How dare we do that? We have to be far more focused. Amen? So Isaiah 58 is, is not a nice Sunday school chapter. Let me tell you. Once you get into Isaiah 58... You're going to bring major adjustments to your lives. And we will get into that. Amen? Who wants to fast? And the next time you do it, you know, I'm standing before the Lord. And He's seeing this expression of sacrifice as a cry that comes up before Him. This is no hit and run exercise. I am touching the heart of God by what I do. And I know I'm going to get the good, positive response of my God on my behalf. Amen? Tell your neighbor, Anna. You know what it says? She served God with fastings and prayer. The ESV says she worshipped God with fastings and prayer. You come to Anna and tell her about worship today and talk about worship teams and music. You say, what? What's all that? (laughs) Her concept of devotion is lock into purpose, lock into the temple, Express the, uh, uh, capture the will of God, pray it through, and see it done. That's my worship. Amen. I'm not saying this is unimportant. I love all of this. Expressions of songs, all important. But there is a higher, much higher dimension. Amen. Okay, we got a bit sidetracked, but I think it was the Lord. Amen. You know what? It dawned upon me only yesterday. I was tying the notes up and I just put this point in. I was reading Luke 2 just again to see, maybe I'm missing something here. And I, I just stumbled upon, look at Luke 2.38 in the NASB on page 4. It says, at that very moment she came up, the King James Version says, she came up in that instant, the young literal translation says, and she at that hour, having come in. The Message Bible says, at the very same time, Simon was praying. She showed up. What? And, I, and I saw the Lord said to me, it gave me this thought, it's, it's the heading on that paragraph, fasting with prayer sinks human life, aligning it with precision to divine timing. You know, to be in sync means you're in tandem. In other words, nice words, tandem. You're in the flow with God's timing for a poignant moment, a significant moment in your spiritual journey. She could have come in any time into the temple. She was out for some reason. And the Bible says she came in at that specific time, serving God with prayers and fastings. And the Lord said to me, Randolph, if you continue a devotion like Anna did, where totally your entire energy, your entire being is swallowed up in doing my purpose in the earth, and you you commit to regular, consistent fasting, Receive my will and do it. God said, I'm going to start sinking your life. Not sinking. S-Y-N-C. I'm going to start, I'm going to start sinking it and dovetailing it in tandem to flow with my preordained divine timetable for your life so that you will not just stumble into things, but every step 
of the righteous man will be ordered by the Lord. And you are going to experience powerful moments where you come into the fulfillment of prophecy and it's by my purpose. It will not be hit and run. It won't be a fluke. It will be my predetermined purpose, says the Lord. I want to live a life like that, don't you? Hmm? People wake up, no more will I wake up and say it's Monday tomorrow. Let's say tomorrow. It's Monday tomorrow. Let's see what the day holds. Got some stuff to do, studying, emails to do, some meetings, counseling. Yes, I will do all of that. But in the bedrock of my spirit, I'm saying, God, is this the day? We're going to sink and bring into significant fulfillment some aspect of prophetic word hovering over me. I will, listen carefully, fasting and prayers facilitate the one, facilitate you, prepare you in readiness for these moments. These moments do not happen to the one that's unprepared for them. She waited. Listen carefully. Now, everyone say grace. Anna means grace. The word Anna. Grace. This lady is the embodiment of the grace of God. Right? Her name, as it says there, under the heading Fasting, Prayer, and Grace, the name Anna means grace. She was the embodiment of grace, as her name suggests. Strong prayer with fasting is one of the many ways of accessing greater grace. Let me just teach this quickly. I teach this in my grace manual. There are many ways of accessing the grace of God. The grace of God is the compositional makeup of the Spirit of God. It's that which makes God, God. God is not God unless He's a God full of grace and truth. As it says of Jesus in John chapter 1. If you put spirit, which is ruach or breath. Spirit comes to this meeting, you can't see spirit, right? But spirit, although it's like wind that comes in, like the Holy Ghost. You can't see him, but he comes in. Sometimes you can feel his effects. If you take spirit and analyze it, you know, if you, you can't do this, if it were possible. Analyze the compositional constituent elements of everything spirit, it is grace. Grace is the substance that forms spirit. God is spirit, not so. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If God is spirit, and I'm saying to you, what makes spirit spirit is a compositional ingredient called grace. God is full of grace. When he said to Moses, stay in this rock, I'll pass by you quickly and declare the name of the Lord. The Lord said as he passed by, the Lord, the Lord, full of grace. First thing God said to Moses. If you want to know who I am, I'm full of grace. Many ways to access it, primarily through the Word. I taught you this. You access more grace through your hearing and obedience to the, to the Word of God. Through the honor of spiritual fathers, if you have a spiritual father and you honor him, you can participate in the grace that God gives you. Financial honor and also the honor of obeying his Word that he teaches. There are about eight expressions. If you are married, if I, this is my wife, the Bible says I must live in with consideration toward her, and I must honor her. Amen? Just if you married, sitting next to your husband, just say, you better listen very carefully right now. <laughs> right? Uh, this is one for the wives. I'm going to read all the wives' best friend after this. 
unfortunately, I'm quoting the Bible. The Bible says, Husbands, live with consideration toward your wife and honor her as the weaker vessel. For she, together with you, is a fellow partaker of the grace of life. I can access grace individually. I've taught you this. She can access grace individually. But there's a place in God in marriage where we can only access grace jointly within marriage. So I must honor her and observe the protocols because the Bible says in marriage we become, she's a fellow partaker of the grace of life. I would like to say it like this. There's an expression of grace that will not be accessed individually when you are married. Because you are married, you're going to have to access it jointly. If you violate the principles governing your marriage and you dishonor your wife in that context, right, you forfeit a measure of grace. Okay? Now, I'm going off the, the topic here. There are various other measures of grace, other ways of accessing grace. One way of accessing grace is through praying. And this is not so much taught even within present apostolic circles. Let me give you the scriptural basis for it quickly. Because you're dealing with prayer and fasting. Who needs more grace? Come on, I certainly do. Say, God, and you know what? This invisible property called grace, the substance that God is made up of, when it comes to you, it's the substance of God coming to you. And Paul says it like this, I am what I am by the grace of God. I work, yet not I, but grace that works through me. This grace makes me who I am and empowers me to do what I do. Configures my sonship and empowers my destiny. What issues of identity and destiny is because of grace. If, you are, if you're concerned about who you are and what you are called to do, it might just be because you are grace deficient. But if you are grace full, you will know who you are and you will do what you are called to do with power. I am what I am by the grace of God and I work, yet not I, but grace. If you don't do who you are, don't know what to do, get more grace. Who needs more grace? I'm saying, God, help me understand who I am in you and help me give more powerful, accurate, efficient expression to what you called me to do. To do that, I need the grace. Tell your neighbor, you might not realize it, but you need more grace. Peter understood this when he said, grow in grace. Something we need to grow in. And here is one way in which you can grow in grace. Listen to this powerful passage. Hebrews 4.15. I really feel the Lord speaking to us tonight. Please, don't be distracted. Listen with your spirit. Leave this meeting empowered. Walk into your destiny with great power. On page 4. Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, Yet without sin. Therefore, tell your neighbor, therefore. Whenever you read the word therefore in the Bible, always ask, what is it therefore? Therefore means based on what I've just said, now. Therefore. So what was just said? Notice the context of verse 15 is what? Human weakness. Not so? Everyone say human weakness. I want, I want you to understand this. The context of verse 15 is human frailty human weakness. It says, we don't have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our, with our weakness, right? our, human, our humanity. 
He was tempted in every respect as, a, as we are like humans. Now, in the light of that, therefore, tell your neighbor, therefore. Therefore, do what? He says, in the light of the fact that you are living with human weakness, that always seems to trip you up, what must you do? Therefore, let us draw near, how? With confidence. To where? Now notice how the throne is described. A throne, what is throne? Rulership, governance, but a, a throne of grace that we might receive what? Receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of our need. In the time of our need. The whole image here is one of prayer. You come to God to find more grace from the context of human weakness. Do you know the grace of God works best within the context of human weakness? It's when you're weak that you are strong. It's when you are weak that grace can come in and make you do things beyond you know what your humanity is capable of because in that area you're weak. Then you conclude it had to have been the, the grace of God. Every time I'm humanly weak and frail in an area, I run to God in prayer. Say, God, I come not, not, not sheepishly, not without confidence, like this verse, I come not arrogantly, but I come confidently. I come to your throne, but your throne is described as a throne of grace. I come to obtain mercy. Watch, listen carefully. To obtain mercy means it's freely given. But I want to find grace. Tell your neighbor, find grace. What does the Bible say? Ask, and it shall be given. Knock, the door shall be open. Seek, and you will find. No, ask, seek, knock. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be open. All those are expressions of prayer that intensified along the way. Ask, seek, become desperate. Knock. So when it says find grace, it implies that one is positioned himself to, to seek it by prayer. And let me prove this to you. Go to the next page, quickly. Sort of time. The middle of the page. The most often translated word that is translated as grace in the Old Testament is chen. You'll see this, in, look at Strong, look at any Hebrew dictionary. But... There's another word translated grace. It's tekina. Tekina. Right? Please don't name your child tekina. Anybody here that's having any ideas. Right? Tekina means a supplication for grace. It's translated in some scriptures in the Old Testament as grace, but its meaning is to ask for it, to supplicate for it. For example, it's used in Ezra. 9 and verse 8. You know, Ezra fasted for safe passage. And we will look at that next week for the Jews. He says, now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the, from the Lord. You'll also find this word replete in the prayer that Solomon prayed at the dedication of his temple. Right? He uses the word very often in his prayer. In Psalm 119 and verse 58, the psalmist says, I sought for your grace or for your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious. But what does he say? I sought for it. I want to find it. So be gracious. 
You need to position yourself in prayer to find more grace. My best scripture with all of this is Zechariah 12 and verse 10. It says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. The spirit of grace and supplication. Now, I want to go to Hannah, because of time. Everyone say, Hannah. Not Anna, Hannah. <laughs> Background quickly. She was the wife of Elkanah. She was barren. The Lord himself shut up her womb. She could not bear kids. She would often fast. The Bible doesn't use the word fast. The Bible just says she did not eat. We assume it was a fast. She wept bitterly and she would pray to the Lord often to break the barrenness of her. To break the barrenness of her womb. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. And Eli the priest was sitting by the seat on the doorstep of the temple of the Lord. She greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and do not forsake your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, I will give him to the Lord. I like that. All the days of his life, a razor will never come to his head. This was the so-called Nazarite vow. Hannah's fasting and prayer highlights at least four motivations or reasons to fast. Another way of seeing this, there are four results that fasting with prayer can give that this lady, Hannah, teaches us. Okay? Number one. Everyone look at me. I'll just summarize what I've written here. Fasting can break barrenness. I'll say it again. Fasting can break your famine. Fasting can break your lack of productivity. And you, you must read the whole of Samuel chapter 1 when you get the time. It's a very powerful case study. I think Renee had a teaching on this at some stage with Hannah. We must call that up. I want to ask you, when you read this account, here's a picture of a desperate lady. Seriously desperate. She's fast, she does not eat. She weeps bitterly before the Lord. She asks the Lord to break her barrenness. How desperate are you to break your own barrenness or lack of productivity in some aspect of your life? How serious are you? Are you prepared to live with it and simply accommodate it as part of your experience? Or are you, I speak prophetically to you tonight, are you willing and desperate enough to, like Anna of the New Testament, Hannah of the Old, position yourself in the temple of the Lord, Give God no rest until he breaks forth with an answer. In a spirit of prayer and fasting, I believe we have not tapped into the fullest power attendant with accurate fasting and prayer. I've been so encouraged by Hannah's life. It broke long-standing barrenness. It reversed things. And it, the Lord gave her the fruit of the womb, which is the reward of the Lord. 
And I want to encourage you, if you're experiencing lack, dryness, or barrenness in any respect, we're doing this fasting series, and I'm here to declare to you, as a prophet of the Lord to you tonight, the Lord says to you, if you are desperate enough like these women were of old, God is saying to you tonight, if you demonstrate your seriousness, I will, re- I will break your barrenness. Your barrenness might not be for a child. It might be financial. It might be relational. It might be in terms of the expression of your ministry that God has called you to do. Things are not just moving. Whatever the impasse is, how desperate are you to break it? The Lord says, if you position yourself as a man and a woman of grace, because Hannah also means grace. Hannah, Anna is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Hannah. Both girls, both women were the embodiment of the grace of God. Both, I believe, found more grace as they positioned themselves before the throne of grace. In prayer, grace was access. Grace called them to be everything they are and do everything God called them to do. I believe grace broke the cycle of aridness and barrenness. Amen? If you're sitting next to a young person, just tell them, you will not have a barren life. Prophesy to the young people around you. Just say, you are going to have a fertile life. Tell them you will be successful. Hmm? Even at UKZN, you will be successful. Amen? Tell someone. Where are the days gone where young people would pray all night? Where are the days when there was a desire to consult God? Where are the days when at a youth level we mastered the discipline of calling upon the name of the Lord? I really believe youth leadership is here doing an excellent job. I heard about the meeting on Friday. And I want to encourage you, now is the next level for you. Young men, young women, now is the next I want you to stand before the counsel of the Lord. Consult your God and engage Him. If you can learn how to serve God with strong prayer and fastings, your life will never be barren. You will not have a dry, unsuccessful, unfruitful life. Grace will attend you and grace will make you successful. Amen? Hallelujah. Number two, quickly. You know, I love this. A fasting was personal. But she gave birth to Samuel and she offered him to the Lord. How is that? Even if it was the average woman, no, this one I'm keeping. Oh, I prayed so long. I was barren all these years. Now the Lord, oh, I'm keeping this one. No ways, Lord. This woman demonstrates. You know why? She realized she's living in the time of the judges. And you know, in the time of the judges, every da- everybody does what? Right in his own eyes. Why? It says, because there was no king. And absent leadership caused standards to drop. There were no absolutes. Everyone determined what is right or wrong. There was no absolute truth of God's law. There was no standard, no law. Everyone does what is right in our own eyes. I believe this woman recognized prophetically by the Spirit. She needs, Lord, think about it like this. Break my personal aridness. The first sign of fruitfulness of this womb, I will not use it for self-indulgence. 
I will give it as a first fruit offering. Why I say first fruit is this. After Samuel, she had five other children. Five is the number of grace. When you give first fruits, this is true, in, even financially I taught this. Whenever you offer first fruits, God always gives more grace. Hmm? She gave the first and God gave her five more. She gave, you know what, when he was born, she says, what does Samuel's name mean again? God heard. Oh, I've heard of the Lord. God heard me. This lady is so grateful. She offers him for temple service. Little did she know, maybe she did, he's going to be the last judge of the era of the judges. The last judge was Samuel. He's going to be one of Israel's greatest prophets. You know, regarding Samuel, it says not one of his words fell to the ground. This guy had 100% prophetic accuracy in his record. You know, one time this guy, at the end of his life, Samuel, after serving Israel, he stood up and he said, none of you can point a finger at me. I've lived righteously and integrously before you all the days of my life. This guy, when, he's, when he, 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 he judges Israel, the Bible says, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel's life. One man conferred immunity upon a whole nation. Backtrack. A lady called Hannah, his mother, had a personal need. But her fasting and her prayer, while it was for God to break a personal barrenness, she offered the first fruit of that to the Lord to be used corporately and nationally for His kingdom purpose. In her example as well, her private fasting has got a kingdom mentality attached to it. Most Christians have personalized fasting to such a degree, it's actually become self-indulgent. Amen? I'm asking you to adopt a more kingdom mindset in your, in your fasting. Amen? Now, there are many other things I can say. I just believe that God wants to graciously lead us into a more profound and deeper expression of prayer and of fasting. You see, Jesus said, when you pray, pray this. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Prayer has got to have a kingdom focus. It's the kingdom expression that must be executed in and through our prayer. I know, let me talk to you prophetically. God is calling some of you, most of you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I believe, I've heard this for my own life, God is saying to me, come up, I need you more greatly devoted like Anna to serve in the temple night and day to see my purposes done. I need you far more desperate than I heard the Lord saying, like Hannah of old, to break cycles of barrenness in your own life, but not so that you would benefit privately and personally. The thing that I'm going to bring fertility to your life is going to bless your entire community, even a whole generation. It's going to have a kingdom mindset and a kingdom focus attached to it. All this is going to be because you've learned how to access grace through prayer and fasting. 
And I pray that this would be your portion. Never again will you have another barren day, arid day, dry day. But that your life will be characterized by fertility and success in all of the purposes that God has called you to. I decree that over you. By my utterance, I declare that your barren days are over. God's about to break something. He who has an ear, let him hear. I'm not expecting everyone to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Grab a hold of this message. If I were you, tomorrow I will adjust my schedule to demonstrate to God my, my greater commitment in personal private prayer, in more greater serious expressions of fasting, because I'm desperate to see the kingdom come. Amen? Lift up your hands before the Lord. Amen. Come on, let's stand. All the Hannahs and the Annas in the house. If you want to be a Hannah or an Anna, say, I want to be the embodiment of the grace of God. I want to see the Lord's Christ, the expression of God's will be done in my time, like she did in the temple in her time. I want to see it. And get ready for in sync, I call them in sync moments. At a certain time she came in and things were happening. Everyone say it. Say it with me, in sync. Come on, say it again, in sync. I'm saying God, sync. You know when you sync, just put your hands down. I have an Apple laptop. I have an iPhone, Apple device. I have an Apple iPad. There's a facility where all three devices, are, the word, technical term is sync. They are synced. So if I'm working on my laptop, let's say I saved this study. I pressed saved. If, even, if I'm in a Wi-Fi environment, all my devices are on, automatically that is saved on all three without me physically going to each one to save it. So I can access this document on my phone or on my iPad immediately. Amen? Syncing all the stuff. It's like you do one thing and God takes care of the rest. Tell your neighbor, get ready for in-sync moments. Aye. It's like God bringing, upgrading every one of your platforms. <laughs> to talk technical language. In a moment, God can upgrade it in an instant. Amen? Apple has the iCloud, where it can even be synced to save automatically in the iCloud. Right? So if I leave all my devices at home, let's say, and I'm going to Washington, which we are in, in, in August. Let's say I forget all my notes at home. I'm in Washington. I just go to a computer store, and I access the iCloud. All my saved documents can be accessed. I can print them immediately. Right? Tell your neighbor, Upgrade. Okay, we don't have an Apple iCloud, but we have a cloud of witnesses. Okay. All the Old Testament says, they can upgrade you wherever you are. This caused you to be in sync by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay. I speak in jest. Please don't take that seriously. Just now you're calling him on the cloud. Okay. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands. I want to bless you. I feel that today's message was very important for my own life. I'm saying, God... I want to cry before you approach. In my, from the context of my human weakness, I have such severe human weakness. I'm going to approach your throne of grace to find grace to help in times of my own need. May the Lord bless you with your hands lifted up. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. May your barren days end in the name of the Lord Jesus. May there be no more aridness, lack of fertility. May you be fruitful and successful in the, in the purposes that God has planned for your life. I decree that you will serve Him night and day with 
fast things and prayer, which is a singular life totally devoted to Him, to His purposes. May you live out what we've sung, I surrender, I surrender. Give my life for your purposes. May that be your experience and more in the name of the Lord. Amen.